This is the Bible Book Club. And we're in the book of Numbers. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Last episode, chapter 21, was dramatic. (laughs) And isn't it so much fun to be back to this epic narrative where we have a rolling story of our hero, Moses. I'm certainly enjoying it. It was the story of Israel's obedient rise to success, followed by a rebellious fall that was fatal. They had their first victory against a rod and immediately began complaining about food and water, insinuating that they would have been better off in Egypt, just like their parents complained. So God gave them a taste of Egypt with the plague of snakes. The anti-venom was interesting and quite out of character for God. Then, with another rebellion and another recovery behind them, the Israelites hit the road again on the way to Moab. And on the way, they conquer a few enemies and sing some songs about that. Nanny, nanny, boo, boo. Oh, yeah. that's better than yours is. <laughs> I know. They're funny. Chapter 22 and 23 is what we're going to cover in this episode. And for the third time on Israel's journey from Egypt to Canaan, the people camp for a lengthy period. Remember, the first time was at Mount Sinai when we were in Exodus. The second at Kadesh. And this is the third major camp out. And it is at Moab. Where is Moab and who are the Moabites? Moab was located east of the southern half of the Dead Sea. The Moabites descended from Moab, the son of Lot. Who was Abraham's nephew. Yeah, Lot was Abraham's nephew. And Lot had a son with his oldest daughter. It was a really sad story. Go back and listen to Genesis 19, season one of Bible Book Club. Um, And he he has a daughter with his, he has a son with his daughter. And he names a Moab, and these are the Moabites. Okay, our first story camped at Moab is not even really about the Israelites, which is kind of fun. It's the story of how God used people outside of Israel on behalf of Israel. It's the story of Balak, the king of Moab, and Balaam, a Mesopotamian diviner or seer. Now, King Balak of Moab is super nervous about Israel. You see, the Moabites had heard what the Israelites did to the Amorites. Remember, that was two victories in the last episode. And the Amorites had defeated the Moabites prior to the Amorites being defeated by the Israelites. Therefore, there is little chance of Moab beating Team Israel because Team Israel beat the team that beat Moab. Does that make sense? King Balak of Moab is convinced the Israelites will easily defeat the Moabites. What King Balak does not know is that God told Moses to leave the Moabites alone. We don't know why. He just did. Balaam is a diviner. So now you understand King Balak. Their names are kind of similar. It's like, I'm going to call him King Balak and Balaam. Balaam is a diviner or a seer. A seer is someone who is supposed to be able, and I say supposed to be able, through supernatural insight to see what the future holds. So is it kind of like a prophet? Kind of like a prophet, but they're a false prophet because they use divination or these magic tricks, stuff like that. Are they followers of the same God or of a different God? No, other gods. Like remember Pharaoh had his people that he called in and said, do what they did, (laughs) you know, like return the, turn the river red. And they said, well, their God's way more powerful than ours. Exactly. Exactly. It was, it's mostly magicians. Apparently though, Balaam can do more than just see the 
future. He has an international reputation for pronouncing effective blessings and curses that actually happen. Now, he lives a long way from Moab in those days, northeast of the Euphrates in Mesopotamia, remember? So it's not an easy journey, but his reputation is that big. Archaeological finds with text from ancient the ancient Far East include Balaam and confirm that he was renowned. He was a well-known diviner expert in observing natural phenomena to determine the will of the gods, plural gods. In reading this chapter, it may sound like he was a godly prophet because God talks to him. But remember, God can use whomever he chooses. Balaam was not a good prophet who went bad or a bad prophet who was trying to be good. He was totally outside of Israel's prophetic tradition. He was not a prophet of God. He was a prophet for profit. He got paid for it. He had a lot of experience, but I am sure nothing in his experience was like this next story. King Balak, knowing his army cannot defend Moab against Israel, is desperately looking for another way to win against Israel. He needs a secret weapon. He needs a supernatural assist. His creative solution is to hire the best seer money can buy to curse Israel. So Balak, king of Moab, summons Balaam. King Balak tries to hire Balaam to curse Israel three different times. Chapter 22. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now, Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Medan, This horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pithor, near the Euphrates River, in his native land. Balak said, A people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse is cursed. So this is cool because the reputation of Israel is spreading and Balak is scared, which is exactly what God wanted. The news of the defeat of the Amorite kings Sion and Og just north of Moab was intimidating. Israel is described as an ox that will gobble them up like bleeds of grass. Israel is just too powerful for Moab and King Balaam knows it. So Balaam makes an offer and Balaam has his first encounter with God. Verse 7, the elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you with the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite officials stayed with him. God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's officials, go back to your own country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. 
So the Moabite officials returned to Balak and said, Balaam has refused to come with us. Balaam is trapped here between the enticing financial opportunity to provide his services to Balak and the commands of God. He's really seeing, having visions of God talking to him. Balaam's conflict is the tension that sustains the drama of this entire story. King Balak is desperate, and without anywhere else to turn, he is not taking no from Balaam. King Balak asks for a second time, and Balaam encounters God for a second time. Verse 15, then Balak sent other officials, more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered him, saying, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in this palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now spend the night here so I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. The tension is increasing as more money and more influence are sent to persuade Balaam to come to Balak. Balaam, however, continues to play both sides. On the one hand, he says he can't do anything outside of God's command, and he uses it almost as an excuse. On the other hand, he says, stay the night, stay the night, and we will see what God does. The money pot is growing, and Balaam is hoping God will change his mind. Then, strangely, God says he can go with them to Balak. Ka-ching, ka-ching. And Balaam the seer smells a payoff. There is a lot of discussion in the commentaries about Balaam. Is he good or is he bad? Yeah, because I was thinking, oh, good. He's consulting God first and God told him to go. Oh, oh, actually, maybe he does have goodness in his heart. Maybe not. Exactly. If all we had was this message, it might seem as if Balaam was an obedient servant of the Lord. He even calls God the Lord, my God. He even refuses more and more money for something he really can't do. Curse Israel. Many commentaries believe that he was either a good prophet gone bad or a bad prophet who tried to be good. However, it is most likely that he was a diviner in the business for the money. It was just that simple. And the God of Israel was just another deity he thought he could manipulate. Second Peter 2.15 says this, They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Then when we read on in Numbers 31, we will find that Balaam is unfaithful to Israel. He actually is held responsible for advising Moab about how to turn the Israelites from God. And this is reflected in Revelation 2.14. It says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Spoiler alert about what's coming in numbers. Balaam was, in summary, very spiritual, like he sought the spirits, but very wicked, as reflected by his name, which means devourer of the people. 
Balaam's third encounter with God coming up is like a scene from Shrek. I think about that every time I read this passage. That's so funny you compared it. So far in our story, Balaam has been painted as a sought-after man of supernatural power. But in this next scene, God provides humorous insight into just how spiritually blind Balaam really is. Verse 21, Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Okay, so wait, what? Yeah, because God told him to go, but now God's mad. Exactly. First, God told Balaam not to go. Then God said he could go. And now, while on the road, God is mad at Balaam. Why? The commentary suggests that the Lord was testing Balaam when he told him to go to see what his heart would do, and that the Lord read Balaam's heart and his real intentions were not the Lord's. Balaam was most likely strategizing about how to maximize his profits, and that's why he didn't realize what was going on with the donkey at first. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam and he was angry and beat it with his staff. So, so many ironies in this story. Balaam, the wise seer, cannot see the angel right in front of him. Compared to the poor, dumb ass, which is what the commentators call him, they call him an ass, not a donkey, who clearly sees the angel. The wise seer is dumb and blind, and the dumb ass is wise and can see. One commentary said it like this, the donkey is like a human and the human is asinine. Furthermore, Balaam sees no significance in the donkey's crazy behavior, even though strange animal behavior was regarded as an omen in Mesopotamia, where this seer is from. As a renowned specialist, he should have taken notice of his donkey refusing to move three times as an omen from the gods. God must have been having so much fun with this scene. It's just so random. Maybe, this is what I think, Moses needed a break from the Israelites. Maybe the whole bronze snake episode was just too traumatic for poor Moses. This was, it was his first big trial without the support of his brother Aaron. Moses was probably so stressed out after that snake thing and having to create that bronze snake all by himself that God thought he needed a little entertainment. Moses needs to laugh. Like, you know, a chill night out at the movies, no kids. So God says to Moses, okay, I gotcha. I can be funny. Watch this. I'm going to mess with this guy named Balaam. Have you heard of him, Moses? He thinks he is so smart. And then the story begins for Moses to kind of look at maybe in some heavenly screen somewhere. Maybe Moses is up on a mountain again. I don't know. And God puts the voice of Eddie Murphy in the donkey. Just like the movie. Just like Shrek. (laughs) Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, 
What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. It is crazy that Balaam in his rage doesn't even realize he is arguing with his donkey. As if it was nothing unusual, the donkey's actions and words were categorically on point in foreshadowing what would happen to Balaam in the next scene. Because just as Balaam treated the donkey, beating him, so shall King Balak treat Balaam. The donkey was caught three times between the angel's sword and Balaam's stick. Like if the donkey moved forward, the sword was going to get him. If, if it didn't, the stick is going to beat him. Soon, Balaam's going to be trapped three times between God and King Balak. The donkey can only speak the words given by God, just as Balaam is only going to be able to speak the words given by God. It's also interesting to contrast this talking animal with the only other talking animal in the entire Bible, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, because the donkey, the ass, speaks undeceptive truth, while the serpent in Genesis was the master of deception. We can also contrast Balaam to Moses. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush, Moses, a true prophet, noticed that the bush did not burn up and drew closer to it. He was drawn to God. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Balaam on the road, Balaam did not notice or question why the donkey would not move forward. He was not in tune to the truth. And therefore, in reality, he is a spiritually blind prophet and really not a prophet at all. Balaam was, in fact, so spiritually blind that God has to open his eyes for him to see. Verse 31, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. Notice that the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. If it was all God, if Balaam thought for one minute that he was the powerhouse in this story about to bestow his esteemed presence to King Balak, he is now seriously humiliated in front of the officials escorting him to Balak. The Lord had demonstrated that he can control Balaam's eyes as easily as he can control a donkey's mouth. Verse 32, the angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. Right here, from the mouth of an angel of the Lord, we have a message about a reckless path, which reminds us of the path that we are all on with choices along the way. The donkey's choices to stop, push to the side, you know, really saved his life. But we're going to see that Balaam, he could have made another choice. He could have chosen to be on Team Israel at any point in the story. He could have said, oh, I see the one true God. I'm leaving Camp, you know, Moab here and I'm going to Camp Israel and I'm going to tell him what's going on because I have this vision of the Lord that I've got to share with them. We're going to put the path printable in the show notes. We have a path called the path to um, good and evil. And it's it really helps us think about what we're choosing in life, just like Balaam had a choice. 
Verse 34, Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you're displeased, I will go back. Balaam sounds repentant, but the words were most likely spoken with one eye on the angel's sword, more out of fear than a true heart change. He admits he sinned because he did not see the angel, but he does not admit that he was pondering profiteering from delivering the word of the Lord. He was going to make money off the words that God was going to give him. Balaam has a fear of the sword, but not, we will see, a fear of the Lord. Verse 35, the angel the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. Again, God tells him, speak only what I tell you. It's a definite warning. God knew Balaam too well. He knew that Balaam did not see Israel's God for who he was, the one true God. So God got Balaam's attention in a very dramatic way. Balaam had to be put in his place and learn from a dumbass before he could learn from God. And what did he learn from the donkey? That just as God made the donkey speak, God can make Balaam speak. And this is the crux of the chapter. Balaam would not be able to utter curses on Israel, even if he wanted to, because God was in control over Balaam. He would see and say whatever God wanted. And God wanted this pagan seer to see a true vision of Israel, a vision that would be a blessing, not a curse. And next, King Balak and Balaam finally meet. Now, King Balak is so excited, he can't wait. And he literally just ignores everything Balaam says. Verse 36, when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the Moabite town on the Arnon border at the edge of his territory. Balak said to Balaam, did I not send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Am I really not able to reward you? Well, I've come to you now, Balaam replied, but I can't say whatever I please. I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. Then Balaam went with Balak to Kirath Huzoth. Balak sacrificed cattle and sheep and gave some to Balaam and the officials who were with him. Balak is excited because he believes that now that he has Balaam, he has the power over Israel. King Balak is not going to be happy with the first of the seven messages or oracles of Balaam. Verse 41, the next morning, Balak took Balaam up to the Bamoth Baal, and from there, he could see the outskirts of the Israelite camp. Balaam said, Build me seven altars here and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. Balak did as Balaam said, and the two of them offered a bull and a ram on each altar. In Israel, the number seven was sacred, and therefore the use of seven altars and seven offerings was probably intentional by Balaam. Being a seer for hire, he probably accommodated any religious traditions necessary to serve his clients. No expense is being spared. Balak does not bat an eye. He provides everything that is needed because he is desperate for God's favor. Verse 3, when Balaam said to Balak, stay here beside your offering while I go outside, perhaps the Lord will come to me with me. Whatever he reveals to me, I will tell you. Then he went off to a barren height. 
God met with him, and Balaam said, I have prepared seven altars, and on each altar I have offered a bull and a ram. The fact that God met with Balaam and gave him words to speak is an unforgettable example that God can and will use the most unlikely people and situations to bring about his will. The more unlikely the situation, like a talking donkey, exactly, the more God demonstrates that nothing is coincidence. Quite the contrary, it is a miracle. Here's Balaam's first message from God, which is this, Israel will be blessed not cursed. Verse five, the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, go back to Balak and give him this word. So he went back to him and found him standing beside his offering with all the Moabite officials. Then Balaam spoke his message. Balak brought me from Aram, the king of Moab, from the eastern mountains. Come, he said to me, curse Jacob for me. Come denounce Israel. How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? From the rocky peaks, I see them. From the heights, I view them. I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number even a fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and may my final end be like theirs. First, Balaam states that he has no control and while asked to curse Israel, he cannot. Then he speaks of Israel as a people set apart, different from all of the other nations. It must have been a beautiful vision because his next words have a wistful longing. Balaam says that he wants to die the death of the righteous, to have an end like the people of Israel. He sees a glorious future of life beyond the grave and he wants it. Ironically, the Lord makes Balaam express admiration for the very people he has been hired to curse. But despite this vision and the longing that it produces, Balaam does not abandon his relationship with Balak. Here is where he could have made the right choice by going to the Israelites with his vision. Balaam also states that he cannot count their number. Now, this is kind of fun because once again, in the book of Numbers, God God uses the Israelite number, the number of people they have, as a display of his blessing on them. Despite the number that died in the wilderness, Israel has been fruitful and multiplied, just like he promised Abraham. This first oracle points to a fulfillment of Genesis 13, where God said to Abraham, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. Exactly what Balaam prophesied in this oracle. So that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. And that's exactly what Balaam said. Who can count the dust of Jacob? Jacob was, of course, Abraham's grandson. And so he's saying exactly what God said would happen. Okay, here is King Balak's reaction. Verse 11, Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies, but you have done nothing but bless them. He answered, must I not speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? King Balak is like a petulant child, panicked that he won't get what he wants. And I don't blame him because he doesn't want to be killed like the Amorites were. And also he paid for this. He keeps paying. Balaam is the donkey. So Balak is like a child and Balaam is literally the donkey speaking what God puts in his mouth. And 
only what God puts in his mouth. King Balak is not, however, one to give up. And so he opts for a change of location for a second try. Now, the ancient world believed that there was power in numbers. So that's why we keep hearing about the Israelite numbers because two million, oh my gosh, they're like all these little tiny ants. If you look up that picture that we put of the camps and everything that that person had painted, that drawing that's in our show notes, we'll put it in there again. You can see, oh my gosh, it must have been overwhelming so many people. So because the ancient world believed that there was power in numbers, King Balak rationalized that Balaam just doesn't have quite enough power to curse all the people of Israel, but maybe he could curse some of the people of Israel. So he then takes Balaam up to another view of the Israelites where Balaam could only see a part of the camp, hoping that will have some kind of effect on them. Continuing on then in verse 13, then Balak said to him, come with me to another place where you can see them. You will not see them all, but only the outskirts of their camp. And from there, curse them for me. So he took him to the field of Zophim on the top of Pisgah, and there he built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Balaam said to Balak, stay here beside your offering while I meet with him over there. So here's Balaam's second message from God, and it's this, God is the source of Israel's blessing. Verse 16, the Lord met with Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Go back to Balak and give him this word. So he went to him and found him standing beside his offering with the Moabite officials. Balak asked him, what did the Lord say? Then he spoke this message. Arise, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, but I cannot change it. No misfortune is seen in Jacob, no misery observed in Israel. The Lord their God is with them. The shout of the king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. There is no divination against Jacob, no evil omens against Israel. It will now be said of Jacob and of Israel, see what God has done. The people rise like a lioness. They rouse themselves like a lion. That does not rest until it devours its prey and drinks the blood of its victims. This message to King Balak through Balaam explains that God is not human and cannot be manipulated to change his mind by a seer. So stop moving him around the mountain. <laughs> it's not going to help. Magic and mystics have no power over God and his people. And Israel is not like other nations because God actually dwells among them. Then the message gets very graphic for poor King Balak, as Israel is described as a lion that will not rest till its prey is devoured flesh and blood. This second oracle points to Israel's covenant relationship with God, which is different. King Balak reacts. Verse 25, then Balak said to Balaam, neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. Balaam answered, did I not tell you I must do whatever the Lord says? King Balak is frustrated, furious, and he is distraught. The curse he so desperately wanted has become a curse to his own ears. And Balaam is nothing but a puppet in the plan. But King Balak is not one to give up. If you don't get the curse you want, spin the wheel and try just one more time. We will save Balaam's final message to Balak for our next episode. 
What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to SusanMe.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio, edited by Buck Buchanan, produced by Haley Mawatt.